0: Ayurvedic teacher and registered nurse, Amy Pruitt. I'm therapeutic yoga teacher, Lisa Dumas. We named this podcast, The Radiant Warrior, because we all feel like we're at war with ourselves sometimes, and we need support to learn from our challenges and expand to the next version of who we are becoming.
1: And for us, the practices that we've drawn from the wisdom traditions of Ayurveda and yoga bolster us in the real world challenges we face in our
0: lives as women mothers, daughters, and friends. Ayurveda's simple guidance helps us cultivate enhanced radiance and vitality, and the skills we've acquired from therapeutic yoga soothe an anxious mind and body, inviting contentment and connection to the part of us that isn't afraid.
1: The Radiant Warrior Podcast is yoga, Ayurveda, and real talk to reclaim a courageous heart.
0: We're so grateful to all of you for your responses and reviews reviews are a wonderful gift to a podcaster because it helps us grow and become visible to more people.
1: A great way to tell us you value the show is by heading to the iTunes app to subscribe and to offer us a five-star rating. We appreciate you.
0: Amy, I'm so excited about sharing this episode with our listeners because this week we are interviewing my current teacher, a yoga therapy teacher. He runs a wonderful yoga therapy school, Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy, that I've been a part of for over a year. I talk about him a lot here because I've learned so much from him. His name is Brent Pasalaqua and oh, it was a great, great conversation.
1: Yeah, I loved this interview. I thought he was very accessible and down to earth, and I really appreciated his story about how he got to
0: where he is today. It was a generous sharing of his, um, so stay tuned for that. But first, Amy, this is our last episode of 2019. I know, I can't believe it. We've been at this for almost a year. It was something that we felt a little bit nervous about, but we wanted to do, and, and then it became one of our highlights of every week, being able to share with one another.
1: I have loved this experience. I was very nervous in the beginning and every week I would be full of nerves and scared and what are people going to think? And now, like you said, it's a highlight of my week. I get
0: to talk to you every week and catch up and, and it's a joy. Yeah. I spoke about that in one of our primary podcasts, because that's something that happened that I didn't anticipate either. This show has in itself become a practice for us. We thought it'll be something fun and it's a way that we could be useful. We wanted to offer what we've learned in this medium and me too. It brought up a lot of nerves and some trauma with a little T that happened in my radio career that I had to work through and move towards that archetype that I'm always thinking about just growing into this version of nothing to prove and nothing to hide. So it has been a way to move towards that place. And I've been loving doing it with you.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for 2020. What's next?
0: Wonderful guests are what's next. And we ended up having such a great time doing this show that we created an online course to go deeper into what we teach And one last opportunity to tell our listeners about this because this podcast airs on Friday. So tomorrow, Saturday evening at midnight on the winter solstice, that's your last chance to join us for a radiant winter, a 12-week online course where every Sunday morning you'll receive a video that we record for you. To help you move through the season of winter using specific movements and breath practices, meditations, and a lot more to support you feeling like you're living a radiant winter.
1: And they can even join us for a radiant year if they're so inclined.
0: Yeah. Some of our participants joined us for the season of fall for a radiant fall. And then we have several in our community that are with us all year long just to see what it would feel like to have supportive practices every week for an entire Year. So I'm excited to check in with those people and see how they're feeling after a couple of seasons. Um, you can always reach out to us to ask us a little bit more about that, or you can go to a radiant to learn more and to sign up to join us because your first class comes out on Sunday.
1: Yeah, we hope you join us. It has been just like this podcast, a radiant year has been such a joy for us to spend time. With our community and to support them and to offer these practices in in a, in a different environment.
0: We hope that we see you. We hope that you join us. And now, without further ado, our wonderful interview with my teacher, Brant Pasalequa.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All
0: right. Well, we'll start from the beginning. You have written about your own personal transformation from dis ease to yoga therapist. Can you start by taking us back to the days when you were a touring musician, what you struggled with, and when did you first figure out that meditation and relaxation and these practices that we now offer as part of yoga therapy were going to help you?
2: Let's see. So the shortest version is, you know, I grew up a typical like sort of suburban Boston life, you know, nothing too uh, interesting, except for the fact that um, I was one of three kids, and um, my sister, my cousin, who was um, like an integral part of my family, who was my age, and um, they both died while I was while I was a child. So I had a lot of sort of fractured familieness from that and personal trauma. And then um, I was a musician, and I went to college for a little while, but I spent all my time playing in bands. So that didn't work out great college wise, but musically it went well. And <laughs> I. I um, that's what I did. And I lived in New York and I toured and, you know, I found myself uh, over time, you know, I became heavier and heavier. I ended up obese and um, I was addicted to many substances and uh, highly anxious. So I guess all those things together. And, you know, I, I guess like many people, I had some, you know, rather deep thoughts on the subject, but mostly avoidance. Um, And at, uh, around 30, um, my, my band that I had spent, you know, years working on was my living and how I viewed myself, um, broke up. I sort of hit a personal low. Um, I was not doing well physically and I got a really, uh, big autoimmune disease that landed me in intensive care. And, um. Wasn't looking good for me. I um, actually died on the table, um, and the you know the hematologist I had you know didn't have a lot of good things to say. He's like, well, you know, you know, I survived that. I was on huge amounts of steroids, and all this was actually at, during the time of nine eleven. So I was living in New York. I actually got out of the hospital September tenth, <laughs> um, two thousand one, and so I got home. I couldn't walk. Um, and then the next morning, nine eleven happened, um, which was a really kind of interesting experience. Uh, one, I was lucky cause I got out of the hospital, you know, before that happened. And then, um, you know, I sort of recovered slowly, mm-hmm. I was recovering while that was going on. And so I had this sort of, uh, euphoric sense of being alive cause I had just had a near death experience, um, while everyone was sort of grieving and having a really hard time and I was like smelling the buildings burning. And um, it was just a really intense time, you know, the energy in New York was not what it was really. Um, but I found myself uh, for the first time kind of really inspired to, to be alive mm-hmm. and to be really present, you know, really for the first time. I'd spent so much time avoiding things. You know, I'd even through that process, uh, near that process quit smoking i smoked four packs a day for you know at least probably since i was a teenager you know just lighting them off each other so i hadn't really had any time of like clarity my prognosis was not great it was actually on you know this is a long time ago so i found an online group it was a rare autoimmune disease there was like maybe 20 people in it from all around the world like a support group and they kept dying and going blind you know like losing their ability to walk and you know that was not that helpful. So I started looking for, you know, help and, you know, I had nothing to do. I wasn't playing music. I wasn't, you know, functioning physically well. Um, and I met a yoga teacher at this little studio near me, um, which was affiliated. She had gone to integral yoga, which, um, was in the West village in New York. Um, they have a an ashram and I ended up doing my very first teacher training there years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, she taught me uh yoga Nidra and I tried it and it was like hmm. mind blowing f- for me. I think mostly because I could feel parts of myself that I had never felt before. Um, and I spent a year basically doing yoga Nidra. <laughs> um, it was like my job. I, I My autoimmune disease made it so that, um, I would get really lightheaded. I would have to lie down. I, I couldn't stay upright for long periods of time at first. So every time I felt bad, I basically did yoga nidra, which was kind of all day. Um, and so I had this sort of enforced, like, you know, massive, basically meditation retreat. Um, you know, like many people, just hoping to get physically better. Um, and then all the light started going on, you know, in terms of uh, how I'd been living. And what was available to me um in terms of my own awareness uh and then you know i'm an intense guy so i went from intense addiction and music stuff to Hmm. doing this like whole hog yoga thing you know i (laughs) I started going to yoga classes too and i got myself physically better and my autoimmune disease um, which i was told would be with me forever and would be a problem um kind of evened out um over time and so that was a long time ago now 20 years so that um that went away and i started doing more and more yoga um started studying yoga <laughs> studied, started started integral yoga and then i um met a teacher that really helped me i also started meditating doing uh, sitting with the zen buddhists Um, I studied with a Tantra teacher. You know, I kind of did like New York's great like that because it's just people all over the place. So (laughs) I did a little tour of everything I could find um, and eventually ended up um, uh, working with Makunda Styles and going to yoga therapy school. Um, And, you know, that got me interested in, uh, I guess to kind of wrap that era up, that got me interested in a couple things. Uh, One was, uh, you know, we're all self-referential as uh, yoga teachers who seek to heal ourselves, right? And then we decide we want to share it. So I was like, oh, this is an amazing autoimmune protocol. So I started working with people for autoimmune diseases, and uh, I lost a lot of weight. I lost over 100 pounds and kept it off. So that was surprising to me. So I, um, I constructed a program um, based around yoga for weight loss, um, but more, you know, obesity And so I did that. And then that's the 10 minute version of my entire life.
0: (laughs) Brent, that was amazing. And and thank you so much. And I know Amy is going to weigh in, but if you don't mind me taking you back and just for our listeners that aren't aware of what Yoga Nidra is, because it sounds like this is really where you began and it was so instrumental in your healing and you've contributed articles about it actually that are out there to be read. Um, on Elephant Journal, to name one place. So, for our listeners who aren't sure what yoga nidra is, would you mind just, in your words, explaining it?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the the main thing to understand about yoga nidra is that it's it's basically meditation. You know, it's a style of meditation. It's probably a better way to look at it. Um, it's based in some work uh, that was done by teachers. and They called it yoga nidra, which means yoga n- yogic sleep. Um, but it always has this inherent idea of um, sort of changing your mind's relationship with your body and then uh, sort of diving more deeply into like the more inner aspects of yourself. Um, It's usually done lying down as opposed to most meditation techniques that are seated. Um, And it's almost always guided because you want to um, stay awake through it and have this experience of sort of shifting your states without falling asleep. So. I guess that's the basic version of it. It's been used a lot in all different contexts. But um, what I think most people realize from it and gain from it is that the ability to kind of drop down through their uh, like yoga, people would call their bodies. So their physical body and sort of like leave their awareness of their physical body behind and move into what we would call the body or the mm. body. And then leave that behind and kind of move more into your thoughts. And then to the deeper parts of yourself, so it's this process of letting go, and it's done laying down. Um, And I found it very healing for myself. It's also very, you know, sort of enlightening at the same time. Um, And I have to say, it's it's probably the easiest way to learn to meditate. I'm I'm constantly surprised that it's not more popular, actually, (laughs) based on the meditation that's out there. because I know people go to like MBSR things and, you know, do a lot of mindfulness practices, which are all great. But um, whenever you ask somebody, you know, people are a little sort of like, I don't know if I can meditate. And you say, well, why don't you lie down? And people are, you know, (laughs) generally are like, oh, okay, I can do that. Um, And all the instructions lying down. So I, I, uh, I found it easy as someone, I should add that I never, you know, in that story, I... I remember I, I met somebody at a party who's now like a really famous yoga teacher, mm-hmm. which was dating a, a friend of mine in my 20s. And she said, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. And I, I looked at her and I said, so are you in a cult? Like that was my that was my, you know, sort mm-hmm. of understanding of yoga.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and she said, yes, actually, but it's a good point. So I thought that was a perfect answer. But I had, I had never done anything like this. So I walked into Yoga Nidra like to, in a good way, actually, because totally open. You know, I didn't have any preconceived notions or any ideas of what I may or may not do. I had never even gotten a massage or done anything that you would consider relaxing, <laughs> you know, in that way. So,
1: so Brent, you had this, like, seemingly overnight or very quick transformation from this life you had. Before and then getting this shocking diagnosis and then this path of healing, did you have any resistance along the way to changing from the one way you were living to the other? Or did you, were you just really in it and going with the flow and finding that, you know, these practices were really resonating Mm -hmm. with you and, and cementing your path?
2: You know, I didn't because all my resistance was stripped away uh, by almost Mm -hmm. dying. So it was made very clear to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I thought I wasn't going to make it. And one of the experiences I had um, while basically dying in the hospital was not being scared. Mm. And um, that was one of the first times I had probably not been frightened since I was maybe 10. So, you know, that changed me. So I, I got lucky in that way, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I mean, literally that illness was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I got really lucky that way because I didn't have to fight through my own stuff. It became really clear to me that um, the way I'd been looking at being alive was not based on any kind of reality. Um, so I felt like I knew nothing, mm. um, which, you know, is a great place to start a spiritual practice for sure. Um, but it, I think it's unusual. Um, I've heard these stories before with people in similar situations.
0: Did you have any exposure to alternative healing arts when you were growing up, Brandt? Like when you had almost a reawakening did you have to, what did you have to unlearn about life and about thinking and about food to support your healing along the way?
2: Well, those are a lot of big questions. Life thinking and food. Okay. So, well, I mean, I realized that I had been basically anxious, right? <laughs> and I had never been to therapy. I had never, you know, actually asked my parents after, you know, as was an adult, I was like, you know, After my sister died, my cousin died. Like, I never had any therapy. And they were sort of like, yeah, we asked some people. And they said, you'll be fine. And they were educated, actually lovely people. But it was just like a a little bit of a different time, you know? There wasn't a lot of resources, and people didn't think the same way. I had never really been exposed to anything. So I basically started running, you know, at high speed. I realized that, you know, I I didn't have any exposure to any of this stuff. Um, I had really just become an addict, you know, from avoidance. So food, you asked about food, was just part of that. You know, it was like a constant... I was in a constant state of changing my state. So I was eating too much. I was taking drugs. I was drinking. You know, I was traveling around in a van, not being home. I was staying up all night and sleeping late. You know, everything. I was drinking pots of coffee every day. It didn't really matter what it was, you know. So I never... You know, it wasn't like a particular kind of addiction. It was like addiction to all things that would change my state from like baseline, which was too scary. for me. But I didn't know that at the time, you know, so I really had to change that line of thinking. So when I almost died and I became not scared at that moment, I did have a realization in the back of my head, which I don't know if I could have articulated then, but I can now, um, which was that I don't, well, I probably could have articulated it then. I don't have to be afraid. You know, I really don't have to be afraid because I was literally dying and my wife at the time was kind of like screaming and pounding on my body. It was like this whole, it was very like soap opera. And I remember it really well. And I was like fading into the background. I was like, yeah, I'm going to die. And great. You know, Like I really didn't have. And then I sort of what felt like willed myself back because there were people in the room that didn't want me to go. After that, I realized, you know, on another day, I might have decided to go the other way. It didn't seem like that needed to happen. And so then the question is, well, why am I even here? So my first thought was to get myself healthy enough to just survive. And then my second thought was, how do I live in a way that's useful? My exposure to yoga, and then I spent a bunch of time at the Integral Yoga Ashram. I mean, that was one of the main, I'm not a disciple of such but that was one of the main sort of themes there. And that really resonated with me, you know? And the the only thing that was similar is that I grew up Unitarian. And, you know, our Sunday school was basically like a survey of religions and social action, you know? Um, So that was in there, I guess, from a young age. So I had told myself that, like, playing music was like, you know, being an artist is important. And I still believe that. But I'm not sure if it was really my path to be you know what I mean? It's just what I was doing. You know, I sort of had that awakening. So that's what I had to change. I was like, well, what am I going to do to be useful to people? What's my particular skill set, you know? Um, so I went through, you know, just personally, a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with yoga. And at the same time, I was sort of looking for a new career, really. Like, what am I going to do with myself? I thought about being an NP. Um, I'm a pretty smart guy. School's easy for me. So I was looking at, you know, kind of medical stuff and, um, but yoga really called me because I saw the power of it, um, and I saw the power of it to help people, so that was- well,
1: you say you know that your story you know you don't talk about it or you don't find it interesting, or I can't remember the exact word you use, but I love your story, you know, I had a sibling die at a young age too and And those same resources weren't available to me. And we we just kind of, you know, buttoned ourselves up and went on with life and realizing how deeply that can affect someone, you know, you're going through the motions and going on with life, but yet trying to put that in the past or, you know, not moving, not honoring grief and how it shows up later in life. You know, I just, I can resonate a lot with like getting really busy with life to try to not deal with anything. And um, so I love your story. And I, and I think our listeners will love it too. You know, people can identify with these things that happen in life to us and we kind of just move through them and, and don't give them the time and space and acknowledgement on how it affects every aspect of us.
2: Yeah. I, I see it as like, you know, when you, my sister died, I was, I was 10. She was younger. And then when I was 16, my cousin died. who was also 16. It's almost like a, it stops you from developing if you don't deal with it. You know what I mean? so I got kind of in this like permanent, permanent adolescent state, you know, I have a 15 year old now, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm watching him, you know, it will be very present with his life, you know, as one way to look at it or, you know, narcissistic and self-involved at the other way. Um, but, you know, and that's normal, but it just sort of continued, you know? Um, and for the record, in case he hears this, he's a great kid. And, his level is very low. He's he's a sweetheart, actually. Um, But he's still, you know, he thinks about, you know, high school and sports and people he knows. And, you know, the greater questions of this life are not part of his thought process, Um, you know, which is normal. But I think I just stayed there. And that's not good when you start hitting your late 20s.
0: And when you came to a stage when you were asking yourself those greater questions, and specifically the question of how can I be useful, because your journey included a transformation around weight loss, that's where you started to really help people. And what I wanted to chat about a little bit is it's the time of year that a lot of people are struggling with food and thinking about food and their weight and their dissatisfaction with their weight. So because it's been a part of your journey. You have spent so many years supporting other people through what you call peaceful weight loss, and that is the title of your wonderful book, Peaceful Weight Loss. Your approach, I love it. It's not to start with the food, but with reducing stress so that we can like harmonize our minds, focus on food, and move more to present-centered thinking. Um, can you share a little bit more about how your system can support people if weight loss is their goal for 2020? Yeah. um, I mean, the first
2: thing I want to say is, you know, my system, you know, or ideas are are really based on people being either overweight or or we also work with eating disorders. You know, we've been doing this for years and years. Um, It's a very different process to lose five or 10 pounds. So I just want to put that out there. Um, mm-hmm. I am not a specialist in that, um, as you know, Lisa, because you hang out with me live. Mm-hmm. I have the 10 pounds. <laughs> and they will probably always be with me. Um, so that's, I mean, that's more, you know, that's thats nitty gritty nutrition, right? When you start getting into the small amounts of illness. Um, But, you know, what you find it, with obesity, unless you have a, a medical problem, its roots, right, are in an inability, right, to make decisions about food. So it's more in the addiction camp. And that's why it's very similar. I mean, there are some differences to, to working with people with eating disorders, because you're not really talking about food, you know, and, and the current, this has been going on forever, when someone's Obese, you know, a doctor will say, "Well, you should eat less." You know, and it's always like striking to me that you're looking at a human being, you know, with a master's degree, telling them they should eat less, like they couldn't mm-hmm. figure that out um, by themselves. So, they, you know, the question becomes like, "Why am I eating in this way? Um, what is surrounding this, you know, uh, that makes it impossible for me to eat in a different way?" And there's, you know, there's so much to say about the subject. We could do this entire mm-hmm. interview on this subject. Um, but I think that's not our agenda. So, um, what I, I think what I want to say is that um, yoga, you know, is particularly useful because it, it does a few things at the same time. It, um, it, what we'd say in yoga therapy, balances your vata, but basically um, reduces nervous system tension and also brings clarity to the mind um, at the same time. And it does it in an embodied way. And what I found in myself and pretty much everyone I've worked with, um, I'm sure there's some exceptions, but, you know, let's say 96% of people I've worked with who are obese is there's a disembodiment that comes with it. It's hard to make decisions in terms of food and food timing and how you're going to, your lifestyle and how you're going to pace yourself if you, if you are not getting any input from the body. So yoga is particularly well suited to this. The way I got here is I started doing yoga. I didn't mention this before Um, and I was trying to like not die. It wasn't really about weight loss at all. And I ended up losing a ton of weight, you know, and during that process, I started making food modifications too. So I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea that it's impossible to lose weight without changing what you eat. But the, the interesting thing is I was able to, right? I was like literally able to make decisions and choose to eat in like a more reasonable way. I mean, the body likes homeostasis, but if you're 100 pounds overweight, 150 pounds overweight, it's actually pretty easy to lose weight in a way. Because if you can get yourself to eat sort of a reasonable amount of food in a systematic way, another way to say that is dieting gets a lot harder as you get smaller, you know, because you're asking your body to do things it really doesn't want to do. So I got myself into that scenario and I started, you know, the first 50 pounds I lost was actually really easy. And it was all because I had started doing yoga. Like I didn't, I wasn't on a diet. I just stopped addictively eating. And so a lot of the work is based on that. And then we, you know, in our systems, we get into some nitty gritty and how to sort of uh, help yourself decide on the best ways um, to feed yourself and to live your life so that, you know, it's the way you need to lose. But I will say, working with people, a lot of people find that they lose weight, um, but they also have a massive shift in their um, view of themselves. So I have worked with so many people who, you know, were, say, 80 pounds overweight and lose 30 pounds and then decide that they're going to go real slow from there, but they, they shift so many aspects of their life that they're happier. And so, like, their health improves. You know, they look better, they feel better, and their initial Mm -hmm. goal of losing 80 pounds actually shifts to, well, maybe 40, maybe 50. Um, And I I think that's an important part to tell because the science now um, is pretty much, I would say, is remarkably clear that getting back to the weight you started at, you know, in high school or whatever you're remembering is incredibly difficult. Most bodies don't really want to do that and you have to make drastic change to get there and and keep it up. So there's been a bunch of articles in the New York times and stuff about this. So part of my process is helping people lose weight and they definitely do. And the other part of the process is Mm -hmm. helping them like be okay with reality so that they can land somewhere where they, they have contentment. Um, And in that way, I would say, we are incredibly successful working with people. Most programs will, if your goal is 80 pounds and you lose 40, you're sort of being told that you're not good enough.
1: Well, to to help people find contentment seems to be the greatest good and probably the hardest work. And and so I commend you that that is the goal as opposed to numbers on the scale. Right.
2: And we do work with numbers on the scale. And, and usually they go hand in hand, you know, and there's a, there's a sort of place where everything kind of comes together nicely. And usually when we're working with people, you know, we get, (laughs) you know, if you take a typical client who's like 250 pounds and their BMI chart says they should be 160. So they hit like 190, right? Which is a lot of weight loss. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then there's a part in our process when I train people, I train everyone to do this, which is, there's always a moment where you ask them, So here's how you would have to eat and live in order to lose another 30 pounds. Is that worth it? And I would say a third of the people say yes. And they do do that. And the other two thirds are like, absolutely not. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) turns out, you know, I'm pretty happy right now. And it's going well, you know, I mean, I've seen clients like that, like, who had, I mean, one woman comes to mind who was 36 years old. Uh, She had been obese since she was a teenager. She was probably 300 pounds and she got down to about 220. So she lost 80 pounds over like a year. Um, She had never dated. She had never, you know, sort of lived in that way. In that year, she started dating. She got engaged. She looked totally different. Do you know what I mean? Like her life completely changed. And then we got to that point and she's like, no, I'm good you know, like, I'm good. She's way healthier, you know, all of her sort of medical markers were where they needed to be, you know, she was pre-diabetic and she wasn't. And, you know, I think that's, that's a place where a lot of people can get to. And if you're not that person and you're more of a person who's like, I really want to lose 20 pounds, um, doing yoga and, and especially our method, um, is helpful too, because it really, it really allows you to look at you know, while working on yourself and working on your weight, if you want to really look at why you're doing it, you know, am I content? And is there a base malcontent that I could contend with? And, you know, I actually applaud people. I don't have opinions. Like, I think it's totally okay to want to be, you know, really thin and look a certain way, if that's what you really want. A lot of people are doing it because they, they're driven by this sort of you know, deep inner voice telling them that they're not good enough. So that's the part of the work that I I really appreciate.
0: Well, it's so important to get to our authentic why. And I'm hearing you say that Mm -hmm. when we're not thinking clearly, when we're more imbalanced, our why may not be that authentic why. But then finding the real why comes with the work that you're doing with people. Right.
2: And it's all body, breath, and meditation based. It's not cognitive. Just to be clear, we don't do cognitive work with people. They come to these realizations through the practices, which is the most sort of elegant part of it all. Um, You know, a lot of, uh, you know, I worked in New York for years and most of my clients clients were pretty well off, have been therapized (laughs) forever. Mm -hmm. And it was just so interesting to me to see in six months how someone could have Mm -hmm. so many ah ahas after talking about themselves, you know, for an hour a week for 20 years. it just goes to show how important it is to do the other aspects of, of practice.
0: Well, it's so challenging to be seeing ourselves clearly or to think clearly, especially when it comes to body image and weight and food with all of the messaging that we're exposed to all the time. And especially right now at this time of year, like some people feel like that first step is going to have to be detoxing and cleansing. Like, and I've heard you say before, it's as if we've <laughs> been sold a bill of goods, like we're somehow dirty, like we need to clean ourselves. Yes. And can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think what you have to say about that is really powerful. And then rather than this detox and having to change everything, what would be like some actionable, accessible, doable steps that people could do if they wanted to make some changes there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I I think it's reasonable. We all want big change and detoxing is, um, I think, really appealing, you know, because it seems drastic. And if you want to be drastically different, then that seems like it would match. Um, Problem is, it doesn't actually work that way. You know, my recommendation, especially around the holidays and stuff, is to, um, and this is how we work in our method, too, is to really take a strong look at how you can get better rhythms in your life. Um, So that would start with actually scheduling how your days go. And uh, one of the big ahas people usually have is like having enough time for self-care and downtime. And then we work from there and put contemplative body-based practices like yoga into the mix. And if you start with a commitment to do that and really look at the body-based practices, not as exercise, but as uh, a contemplative practice that will change you. So looking for, for instance, types of yoga um, that are more in that direction versus an exercise class. That's where this all starts, because then you can see clearly and make um, really smart decisions. And if you don't mind, I just like to add a little piece of science Mm -hmm. that might make that more clear, which is that no one loses weight from exercise. There is study after study after study that says exercise is a terrible way to lose weight. It doesn't work because your body automatically tries to get you to eat more calories than you exercise. You know what I mean? It wants you to not starve to death. So this has been studied like for 30 years over and over again. And the message is still, I'm going to join the gym because I'm fat (laughs) and it doesn't actually work. There's a million reasons to go to the gym. You know what I mean? You know, you develop muscle tone, you'll get better cardiovascular stuff. Your health outcomes are better. You know, I go to the gym, you know, but it's not to lose weight. The only thing that works for weight loss is food modification, and, and only in very particular ways. So the first, your first step should not be getting yourself to exercise, unless that exercise is part of your like sort of mental health regimen. So for lots of people, you know, we live sedentary lives, and if you go to the gym and run around, and you feel clearer and healthier and happier that exercise is good for you. But the calories on the machine and the, you know, these ideas that if you just do enough hit classes, you're going to pull off all the weight. It, it's really not backed up by Western science. So, you know, probably most people listening to the show believe in science. So it's, you know, it's <laughs> literally the equivalent of not believing in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a belief system that you have that you are tied to, and that's fine, but none of the science supports Gosh, it. no, amazing. It doesn't make any sense, you know? So, so gentle yoga is actually better for weight loss than hard yoga because gentle yoga facilitates, right, these com- contemplative states that change the balances in your body and brain required for you to make food modification. Western science backs that up. So I'm I'm not making this up. I'm not like this wooey yoga guy that says like, oh, lift your arms really slow and all the weight will fall off. It's not that. You know, it's that that's the only way. In fact, if you follow this logic mm-hmm, train, mm-hmm. if you exercise while doing yoga and get your heart rate up, mm. you're going to get really hungry. <laughs> so it's actually not good hormonally for weight loss. Um, so that this part is like sort of constantly fascinating for, to me. And there's other health health outcomes in the world um, like this that Western science has proven that people just won't get with because of a variety of reasons. I mean, the other example that just comes to mind real fast is like diet is like the key way to reduce blood pressure. Exercise is helpful, doesn't even touch dietary change. So it's interesting that people are willing to do certain things and not others. And again, if you can get somebody to sort of see things clearly and make logical choices, right? They can have incredibly different outcomes.
0: I want to reiterate that you are not a wooey yoga guy. One thing that I, I I'm not <laughs> you're not at all. I one thing I appreciate so much of being able to learn from you is the logic behind everything we do in order to be most useful to people. Isn't it like music to your ears, Amy?
2: Well, hearing one of my students say that I'm always logical is music to my ears. So thank
1: you. Yeah, in my my history, you know, I have lived in Western medicine for 25 years as a registered nurse and what you're saying makes absolute sense to me, completely one hundred percent.
2: Yeah, it's really frustrating when you um, like work as a nurse and you know public health I, I think for me, you know, the reason I didn't become an MP is I decided that I actually wasn't interested in following the logic that has been shared with us by public health officials. And it's not that I, I think they do great work, but they do. They save lives. But if you're someone who's really willing to make change, you're not getting all the information. You need. So most of the information that's sort of disseminated through the health system, healthcare system, is based on the general population with an underlying mm-hmm. notion that most people won't do what you say. <laughs> so, you know, yoga therapists work with people that want to do things. So, you know, there's a lot more options for, for that population, which I understand is probably smaller. Um, but I think it's important to acknowledge right, that, that you know, nurses, I mean, it's, it's tough stuff. You know, you're, so people are smokers and they're coming in with heart disease and diabetes and they're in the emergency room again and then the hospital and then you say, don't smoke, and then they keep smoking. So... <laughs> You know, yeah. the process yeah. to get them to a point where they would decide not to smoke is, I think, more interesting to me. You know, how do you get somebody there?
1: Absolutely. When I'm seeing them, they're not there by their own choice. You know, they, they are not on the path that is consciously going to lead them to quit smoking. And you know, they've been drug into the hospital right. because of a crisis. And, and I agree that the people coming to see you are much more motivated um, to listen yeah. To what yeah,
2: and to and to you know, give process a shot, you know most people aren't brought up yeah. in a way to even understand what that means. So there is education
0: well, you you obviously found that the next place you could be yeah. useful is as a yoga therapist, and you've been practicing this and serving in that role for years and years. What made you decide to start an entire school for yoga therapy?
2: You know, I'm not sure it was an actual decision. So I was a, you know, I was a successful yoga therapist, which is kind of unusual. I mean, my my teacher had one of the, there were two yoga therapy schools in the U.S. And I know even now there's like, what, 6,000 registered yoga therapists. So when I was doing it, there was probably 600. Hmm. It definitely was not... An easy way to make a living. <laughs> um, so I started working. And as you can see, I, I really believe in this stuff and, and enjoy it and zeal it about it. So um, I think that enthusiasm might have rubbed off on other people. So I became pretty successful. Um, you know, I always had clients. Um, it wasn't a problem for me to work. So that was fun. Um, and I saw a lot of people get better. Um, and then I, I, you know, I wasn't seeing, I was seeing a lot of training programs and meeting other yoga teachers and yoga therapists, and I wasn't seeing anyone teaching like yoga therapy the way I thought about it. And I didn't invent any of this stuff. I was given frameworks by my teachers, but, um, I I really wasn't seeing people, who understood the premises of yoga therapy and then um, could apply them in the real world. Um, And I don't mean to disparage anybody by saying that. I'm just saying what my experience was. Like I I wasn't seeing, Mm -hmm. I was seeing people who took certain trainings and I I just couldn't see it. You know, I, I mean, they, they would have knowledge, but they couldn't apply it, you know, or they were too regimented. You know, they weren't, Sort of taught how to work with people, and so I, I did an online course. I decided to, um, I actually did a, a training for my peaceful weight loss program. It's my first course, so I I discovered through that that I enjoyed teaching, and that I could use, um, you know, the internet as a reasonable platform, and then I started a online only kind of yoga therapy program, you know, just so people could learn and access as easily and. The other thing I was trying to solve is, you know, I I trained with my teacher and I followed him all around the country and I did privates with him. So I think my yoga therapy education was probably $50,000, you know, in the, a long time ago. And, you know, I didn't have kids and like, you know, it was all I was doing. And, you know, my, my wife at the time had a job, so I could do things and, you know, I wasn't, didn't need lots of money. So I could stop working for three weeks and go do something else. So I was trying to, I was like, well, this isn't any good because there's so many people in, and honestly, it's mostly women like the yoga world's women, you know, and I know all these amazing like mom yoga teachers who are super smart and have like one to five kids and would do great work in the world, but there's no way they're going to fly mm-hmm. to Bali and take a two month mm-hmm. training or whatever, you know what I mean? This is, just, or India or, you know, so that's what I was thinking about, um, and so I developed this online course, and that sort of expanded. And I did, then I did part of it live, so I could teach people physical stuff. Um, so I had this school, and it went well. I mean, that's you know, I didn't know if it would go well. Um, that went really great. And then we just uh, my I should mention my wife um, is mm-hmm. a yoga therapist as well. So um, you know, we have a lot of <laughs> a lot in common work wise. Um, so you know, I'm sort of the front man, but. And honestly, she does work more work than I do, Um, (laughs) as is usually the case. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we started doing it and it it just worked. And the most amazing thing is that I started seeing students using the material, like with their clients and reporting back that people were getting better. Um, And that was like my real barometer. I just wanted to know if I could, you know, if my method would be one not only that people could learn from, but if it would translate into good work in the world, because my entire goal has always been to help people, you know, and I did it one-on-one for a long time. And, you know, this way, I figure I can help even more people. So by sort of spreading it, so that's what we've been doing. And now we have this, you know, 900 hour, 875 hour advanced yoga therapy training and, you know, all the, all the fun Mm -hmm. stuff, school administration and (laughs) databases and (laughs) financing plans. And, you know, it's all worth it because, you know, um, I run a practicum for the advanced students and every week we get together and we go over their clients
1: and they're getting better. And now you've launched a meditation school.
2: Yes. We decided to start a meditation school. I've been a meditation teacher for years. Um, because although I don't do yoga therapy in an esoteric way, I actually am sort of an esoteric, you know, yoga practitioner, um, and I've studied with a bunch of different lineages. And uh, again, I I saw a gap. Um, you know, I teach meditation at at our school and at retreats, and I've worked with um, lots and lots of clients who sought me out as a meditation teacher. I've never you know, advertised myself or promoted myself as a meditation teacher. So that's been interesting. Um, and, you know, I've had the sort of fortune to look, work with not only meditation students, but some, some kind of well-known, <laughs> I won't mention, meditation teachers and some very serious yeah. practitioners. Um, and my yoga therapy experience has really helped me with that because I've, I've been able to help people see the blind spots in their in their practice. What I decided is that I would I would start a uh, meditation school based on a system I developed that combines a few different lineages, ideas from different lineages, um, into three uh, kind of big parts and um, sort of give it all away from the beginning, because this is what I saw was a problem. One, people couldn't find an accessible teacher who would be available to them and really Always honestly tell them where they thought this person was at um, in a way that wasn't uh, in a power dynamic that is uncomfortable. So, as you can probably tell, if you're anyone listening to this, can probably tell I'm not really a guru type um, <laughs> just because of my demeanor, right? And I, um, I'm not sort of not interested in those kinds of power dynamics. And I've been in a lot of different lineages, and there's a part of them that sort of encouraged that. So, I wanted to start a school and a community that, that wasn't part of it. Um, and I also wanted people to sort of, you know, the only way I can put it is get the real deal with this meditation stuff. (laughs) So if you study some of these lineages and the way people learn meditation, there's a lot withheld and it's withheld because the idea is that your teacher will tell you when you're ready. And there is a lot of power in that and a lot of usefulness, in that. but there's a huge downside which is that you never really understand what you're studying until you're an advanced student. I don't like to learn that way. I find that really frustrating. More importantly, it's really hard to really sign up for all the effort you would put into a meditation system without knowing what it is. (laughs) So we do it a little differently where I'm happy to tell you how it all works (laughs) from day one. (laughs) Um, You might not be there yet, but I'm going to give it to you as best I can in a way that you can understand. Um, So I saw that gap. So between the... I couldn't quite find the meditation communities that made sense to me. And I couldn't quite find... you know, There's all these yoga teachers coming out of yoga school um, who are so interested in yoga and so interested in philosophy and meditation. And they get these little dribs and drabs of it. And then there's nothing. And so what they end up doing is... Maybe they take some mindfulness classes or maybe they, you know, find this teacher or that teacher, but like they never really get involved in a systematic exploration of what this whole yoga thing is. Um, So since I couldn't find it in a way that made sense to me, I just decided that I was going to start a school (laughs) and and do the whole thing. Um, So it's, it's informed by, by a bunch of different things, but a lot of it's informed by working with individual students for years.
0: And I know that when it comes to meditation, this could be another conversation that could go on and on. There's so much to talk about, but again, this is likely a resolution for a lot of people in 2020. Oh, I should really meditate. I should start a meditation practice. What can you say? And we're going to talk more about getting involved in your school. But what can you say to those who are listening who are just getting started or maybe want to pick it up again? What are some advice that you have for those people?
2: Well, I guess my first thing would say what I would say is do some yoga nidra, make
0: it easy on yourself,
2: (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. pick a practice, lay down, down. (laughs) take a guided meditation. Like if you've never meditated before, and I was just talking to somebody about this today. All the different schools and traditions and methods are very useful and they're especially useful at the beginning. I mean, they're similar, right? I mean whether you're counting backwards from 10 or watching your breath or you know feeling different parts of your body, they all work. So on a really basic level, any meditation access point is going to be helpful to you. Um, and so there's so many resources online now. I mean if you just get an insight timer, You know, there's Mm 8 million meditations by 8 million teachers, you know, I think I'm on there. Mm -hmm. So that's one place to start. And you can (laughs) certainly go to your local, you know, I think a lot of people don't know this, but if you go to your local Zen center or your insight meditation society center or whatever other tradition is around you, it might seem scary, but it's not. I think the most important thing to do is to find a teacher that will help you and a system that will help you. It's an intimate thing. You know, it's a vulnerable place. If you really get into meditation and really seek to know yourself, you have to be vulnerable. And since since that is going to happen, it's very important you find a community or a teacher where that feels safe to you.
1: So what would you say when the inevitable frustration arises in creating a consistent meditation practice?
2: So as with most things... The more benefit you get from something, the more you're going to want. It. So there's a period of learning and how to do it, like, a, like technical aspects of how to meditate. What a good system or teacher will do is guide you in that process with enough self-reflection so that you want to meditate. And one of the reasons it's important to do meditation in a community or with a teacher is because all of us are the same, right? Let's say you meditate for three months every day for half an hour, and you're way calmer and way more clear and smarter, you know, and happier. You will forget how you were three months ago, and you will not say that to yourself. You'll say, I'm kind of frustrated and super annoyed and really crunched for time, so I'm going to stop this meditation thing. And that's one of the things a meditation community can do for you, is to remind you that that is not true. You know, that you actually gain time from that half an hour, that, you know, your clarity and calmness, like benefit everyone around you, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's reasons why we meditate. Mm -hmm. We don't just meditate (laughs) because, right? There's something you want out of it. And that want might change, but, you know, you have to be reminded of why you're there sometimes and, you know, what it has done for you. So- Um, And I also don't think, you know, to be fair, um, you know, I'm a big meditation fan. I think personal evolution is one of the reasons why we're here. Mm -hmm. Um, I could talk about the benefits of that for a long time. But I don't know that everyone needs to meditate. I think, you know, we all have like a sort of different makeup. And for some, you know, exercise or yoga class or, you know, moving around and breathing somehow or working in your garden is... Zen enough for you, you know, (laughs) and, you know, it depends on your goal set, really. So um, if you find yourself fighting with meditation, you definitely need a reset because you're having probably the wrong conversation.
0: And if people are thinking, okay, well, that teacher sounds like Brandt, how can people get involved in your meditation school? Is it run like the yoga therapy school and that it's distance and then some hands on community?
2: Um, it's mostly dis- it's mostly distance. You know, we, we just did kind of like a sort of soft open. So, you know, that copy that I just talked about is, is being put up now. So, but if you go there now, um, if you go to breathing com, you'll see a tab for meditation. Um, and there's some information there. I think our first kind of class for the public is going to be, we have current students in there now, but it's going to be um, in early March. If I'm, if I'm correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can start now. That's just sort of the inaugural gathering. Um, and if they want to get involved in that, um, it's, it's similar to my other programs where we, you know, we charge you one fee to get in and then you're in forever. <laughs> and we like it that way um, because, you know, we want you to, like, think of it as your home and not have the pressure. You know what I mean? of sort of like courses and should I do this now? And I I don't have time right now. And is this the right time to start? We don't look at it that way. We're like, look, if you think that evolving yourself spiritually is a good idea, here's a home to do that. So they can come to our website and they can join. And then we have, you know, the whole sort of course online. Um, So there's video parts of the course, there's live um, sessions with me every uh, week. And um, then we have online retreats and we have one live retreat every year outside Hudson. New York. So it's set up so you actually could be anywhere in the world because you can interact with other students online. You can talk to me and other students online. Um, all the practices are online, um, but it's not just recorded. You can actually like speak to a human mm-hmm. me, <laughs> and other students and get help. Um, so that's how we've set it up. And uh, I'm really excited about it because... Um, this is the just like the yoga therapy school. this is the meditation school that mm-hmm. I would want. So that's mm-hmm. why because I, <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I made it. <laughs> so, um, I'd be happy just to be a community member, but life has different plans for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so happy that your quest for being useful, brought you into wanting to start your own yoga therapy school, Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy, and now Breathing Deeply Meditation School, because I did shop around. And what I'm learning is adding to the quality of my life, my practices, what I'm offering students and clients. And it really is a home. When we do our live retreats in Hudson in upstate New York at the beautiful Dharma Center together, I've never been in such a group of capable really formidable, mostly women, as you said, everybody is so smart and everybody wants to be useful. It's a non-judgmental space. You are incredibly accessible. I quote you on this podcast all the time. I learned so much from you. So I want to thank you so much for what you've dedicated your life to. And just from one of your students, I'm, I'm so, so grateful. Thank you for being on the show today.
2: Well, thank you. It's really kind of you. And, um, You know, it's the most lovely thing about doing all this has been what you just said, which is, you know, when you start something, you don't know what it's going to be like. And from the first time I showed up and and taught everyone live, I was blown away at who I got to be with. And like you said, the the students are amazing. Um, And I've never been in a yoga community that has so much integrity in it. so it's, it's, really, it's really been a privilege, you know, um, and I get really excited to go teach those modules because <laughs> mm-hmm. I get to be around amazing people and that includes you. So um, I look forward to seeing you to my left <laughs> in March.
0: <laughs> That's right. Coming all the way from Canada, coming all the way from Canada because it's such a great school. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, I, I've developed a, a huge admiration for Canadians through this school, actually. <laughs> so um, I think I might be moving sometime. <laughs> for sure. Amy, it was a real pleasure to um, speak with you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. This was amazing. And, and I am definitely so inspired by Lisa every week when she talks about her experiences learning from you and, And who knows, you might have a new student as well. I
2: didn't say, why don't you join our uh, meditation school? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Coming soon. Yeah. Well, the door is open if you choose to do that. Thank you, Um, Grant. Okay.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please
1: check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.